Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. As we, as we enter into our new year, the word of the year is transformation. And, um, and it's, my prayer, it's my prayer that God would work within us just a deeper desire, a deeper passion for Him, right? A love for Him, for His presence, for His people. Someone, someone once asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what, well, Rabbi, what's the greatest command of all? Right? It's love, your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I, 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 would, I would ask you, first of all, how are you doing with that? <laughs> right? Because our Savior, our Master, the one that went before us, like He fulfilled that one to a T also. He fulfilled the law, but that, He fulfilled that one too. So there, there wasn't ever a time when Christ didn't love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then for me, I'm like, golly, I don't know if there's ever a time when I did. You know, I don't know if there was ever. So, so that, that's, that's, my, that's, that's the direction I want to go this morning. That as God transforms our desires, that that would be a work that he does in us. Philippians 1.6, the apostle, the apostle Paul says, he said that I was convinced and I was confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perfect and complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, the day of his return. How many of you are thankful that God has started something in your life? How many of you are thankful? You have something to celebrate here this morning. When, uh, one, one, of the, one of the guys here in our church, Glenn Sims, he, he wrote some poems. And one of the poems he shared here not too long ago, there was a line that stuck out to me. And it, he says, I ain't where I, I, I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. I ain't where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. And I think that's just, that's the story, I think, of where we are. And, uh, and, and, and there's, you see the promise that God's going to do. He's going to finish what he started. That's what that verse says. He's going to finish what he started. When Gabe asked me about bringing a message on Transformed, my mind went, um, immediately to the area of desires. Desires. Because I, for one, can look back on a, a time in my former life when, um, in despair, when, uh, man, I had some desires for some things that were not good. Right? I had desires. I had drug addictions, alcoholisms, um, all of these things that we end up, just like the little girl in the video, we end up just kind of picking these things up and, and carrying them with us. And, um, and I remember telling God, like, I don't want to keep doing the same old thing over and over. I don't want to keep doing this thing that I know is destroying me, but I can't stop wanting this stuff, and I need you to change some things in me. I need you to transform some of these desires, but... Let me clarify, it was more like, God, I need you to take this stuff away. I need you to take these things away from me 
But the truth is, for me, anyway, as I sit here, sit here before you, I can't sit here and say that from that point on, I never had a thought, I never had a desire, I never had an, an inkling for any of these things. That, that's, not, that's not my story. Um, as a matter of fact, I've, I've had some pretty, some pretty serious battles, you know. I mean, and, and most of you know the battlefield's right here, right? I've had some pretty serious battles from that time, but by the grace of God, there go I. And he gives us victory in that, in, in, in me asking God, God, take these things away from me. Take that thorn away from me. Take that weakness away from me. Paul the Apostle, he asked God three times, God, take this thorn away from me. Take this thorn away from me. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God gives him the answer. Paul says, each time the Lord said, my grace is all you need. I asked him to take it away three times, and each time he said, no, nah, my grace is all you need. Why? Because my power, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is clearly evident. My power is clearly seen in the times when you're weak. Like some of those things, I don't know, maybe, some, maybe we need some of those things. Right? We need that weakness, that limp. There was a wise old man, his name's Jim Preston. He's going on to be with the Lord. But he used to say, I don't ever follow a man that doesn't lead with a limp. I don't ever follow a man that doesn't lead with a limp. The, the, the idea is that, that people would see you living with that thing, whatever it is, whether it's, whether it's past addictions, whether it's codependency issues, whether, whatever that thing is, that people would see you living with that food disorder and they're like, man, it's not by the grace of God that they are doing that, that they're walking through that, that they're, that they're living with that. So the question remains, then, then if we're talking about transformed desires, and, and I just told you that, you know, for things that God has given me victory now for, for 11 years going on, praise God, but, but, but that the ideas are still there. The thoughts still come. They're, they're definitely less than what they used to be, but they're still there. So where, what's the transformation? Like what transformed? And that's what I want to talk about first of all. We're going to start in Matthew 13, 44. And I, I want to begin with a, a pretty well-known parable. This is one of Jesus' one-liners where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is, is like this. And, he's, and he, there were several of these, and this is kind of a, a Near Eastern philosophy type of viewing things. They would take something and they would say, well, it's kind of like this, but almost as if it was a diamond they would take and they would turn it a little bit and look at a different facet and they would say, yeah, but it's also like, like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field, but it's also, it's also like a merchant seeking for pearls. You know, it's also like a dragnet that was drugged the, the sea and gathered up all these things in it. So, Matthew 13, 44. Let's read it together. It says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And I'm sure that many of you have been taught this verse before. You've, you've heard it presented. And, and I would say probably the focus is on, like, the man, his sacrifice, right? His willingness, his determinism. Man, I'm gonna, I got this treasure, so I've got to sell everything. 
I've got to give, give up all of this stuff. And that's precisely what he does. He, he gives up everything. He sells everything he has. And he buys the field that that treasure was in. But there's a, there's a four-word phrase in this verse that hasn't stuck out to me until here recently listening to somebody teach on this. Let's look at it again. It says, In the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which the man found and hid, and here it is, and for joy over it. And for joy over it, he then goes and sells everything that he has and he buys that field. Do you see it? For joy over it. There's another translation that says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field. And when a man discovered it, he buried it again. He was so delighted with it. He was so delighted with it that he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought that field. His delight in the treasure was the catalyst that propelled him into what would follow. It was his delight in the treasure that caused him, that led him to sell all of that. And that takes me to my first point. I believe transformation in our desires, I believe it begins with joy. I believe that transformation begins with joy. If I asked you, if I asked you in here, well, what does it mean to be saved? I'm, I'm sure a lot of you could give you know, the Christianese answer to that, well, believe in the gospel, repent from your sin, turn, accept the, the, the free gift of righteousness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I want to lay before you a proposition. What if, what if this word believe, believe the gospel, what if that word believe was a little bit more substantial than we have understood it to be? What if there was a little bit more to this word believe? Like, I, I think we can... We can all agree that God, when, when the invitation to new life in Christ is more than just a mental ascension to some truths. But I think we're guilty of, of packaging up this deal and, and kind of presenting it in such a way where we're like, well, believe these historical factual truths about Christ. Come to church, right? Be in this building and uh, stop doing all the bad stuff, Right? And if you want to get really serious, read your Bible, get in a group. But, but I think, you know, and you could make the argument, well, those are, those are all good things. That's what believers do. But that's why I like the parables, because they give us another dimension to this whole kingdom of God, what it means to come into, to be a part of, invited into the kingdom of God. The man in the story, the man in the story, he found the treasure, he immediately buried it again, and there was an instantaneous revelation. Like, he tasted this thing. He experienced, he knew. He tasted and he knew, this is what I want. This is what I want. John 6.35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus said that to come to him is to taste of the bread of life. And I would submit to continually taste of it. The matter of fact, the word in the Greek there, both words, comes to me and believes in me. They're both present participle. It means that it's a repetitive action. It's come and keep on coming. Believe and keep on believing. Come to him hungry and what are you going to find? You're going to find satisfaction. 
Come to him thirsty and you're going to find your thirst quenched. Psalm 34, 8 says to taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Like that's precisely what the rich man did, didn't he? He tasted and he saw, he experienced. And, and as I read this verse, the thought came, well can, you, well, can you taste and not see? Like could you taste of something and not see? And I felt like the Lord was like, well, yeah, of course you can. Like every time that I go to Kroger, when it's not during the fast, and, and I pick out some baby back ribs, or uh, here a couple of weeks ago they had the rib roast on sale, right? I, I pick up those ribs and I, and I take them home and I start seasoning them up, garlic, cumin, chili powder, some Tony Saturies on, you know, whatever, spice it up a little bit. I go outside and, and start cutting some pecan wood. Right, I'm, I'm going to use a smoker. We're not talking about pit bosses and traggers and pellets and stuff like that. We're talking about the real smoke wood. Come on, somebody. Fire it up, and I put, that, I put those ribs on there. I'm going to babysit them for about seven or eight hours. Right? I mean, that, that little smoker ain't but about... <laughs> You're going to have to add wood, you know, every so often. So he's going to, you're going to, it's, it's dedication. It's a commitment. And, um, and after about seven or eight hours, you start getting that bark. That bark on that, you know, that wood starts caramelizing. You have the brown sugar on there, and, and, and it's getting just right. You know, you take, take it off the smoke, you wrap it in full, you let it rest. You let that stuff rest. Just let all the juices intermingle in the fibers of the meat. You guys still doing the food fast this week? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's good. It's heavenly. You take, you t- and then you take them off, and Mama's got the twice-cooked twice baked potatoes going on, cheddar and bacon and chives and all that stuff. Take them ribs off, man, and I cut, I cut off two little bitty pieces of meat. Little bitty pieces. And I put them on each of my daughter's plates. And I try to convince them of the worth of this treasure that lay before them. I try to convince them of the joy that they're fixing to have when they enter into rapture by eating his ribs. And they partake. And some of you parents probably know what their response is. Can I fix Raymond noodles? Can I fix Raymond noodles? Are you are you serious? What is wrong with you? What is, I'll tell you what's wrong. They tasted and they did not see. They tasted and they did not see. The invitation that God gives us is to come and taste. Come and see. Come experience. Come savor. So if you're taking notes, under transformation begins with joy. I've just put by tasting and seeing. Transformation begins with joy by tasting and seeing, experiencing savoring, getting sauce all over you, getting into this thing that God offers us. And look at the, the last half of the, the verse that we looked at. It says, oh, the joys. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. That's what seeing is about. That's what seeing is about. Just a few minutes ago, I talked a little bit about my previous life and said, well, you know, I'd asked God to take away certain desires. But as I look back on my life, um, it, it was evident that those desires still kind of lingered in there. 
right? So what happened? What happened? He gave me a joy that superseded the things of the earth. He gave me something greater. I tasted of something greater than the things that I had been tasting of up until that point. I found satisfaction. I found delight. So transforming my desires with a, and that's why I put it in parentheses, that S actually became transforming my desire. Transforming my desire. The man in the story, it, it, it wasn't him gritting his teeth and determining to sell all of this stuff. It was that the joy that he found superseded his attachment to the things of the world. And I had that as my first point here because I think some of you, I think there's a good chance that some of you may, you see the kingdom of God like this man selling that, but your focus is on, your, fo- your focus is on everything that he had to do. And you don't realize that the joy, the joy comes first, right? You, you go, you, you partake of the joy first and you watch the rest of this stuff happen. Like it was in his joy that he went and sold this stuff. He didn't go and, and, and man, I just, I got to sell this and I got to sell that. It wasn't begrudgingly. Like he was glad. Take the stuff. I've got the treasure. Take the stuff. I've got the treasure. I've got the joy. And you may look at that and you think, well, that's kind of self-seeking, isn't it? Like, isn't that sort of a selfish way to, you know, I mean, it's all about you and your joy. Um, C.S. Lewis has a, he has something to say on this topic. And it's going to be on the screen if you, he's kind of hard to read sometimes. But um, he writes, "If, if there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, He says, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kent and the Stoics, they're philosophers. And he says, there's no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says we're like half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child that wants to continue making mud pies in a slum because he doesn't or he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. There's something greater. There's something greater than those addictions. There's something greater than those unhealthy relationships that you continue to get in. There's something greater that he is offering us. We are are pleasure-seeking people. We delight to seek and delight. We enjoy to seek after joy. And Lewis proposes that's not the problem. The problem is that we're not seeking it hard enough. We're stopping short. And we're selling out for a hamburger when God's offering his prime rib. The verse from 34 earlier, Psalm 34, he says, taste and see. Taste and see that he's so good. Taste and see, oh, the joys. You hear the exclamation in the psalmist, oh, the joys that is to be had 
taking refuge in the Lord. Psalm 16:11 says, "You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore." We're pleasure-seeking people and it's found in him. It's found in Christ. And that leads me to the second point, under tasting and seeing, um, it's not joy in general that we're after, it's joy in the Lord. This is joy in the Lord that we are tasting and seeing. Transformation begins with, with joy by tasting and seeing the joy in the Lord. I want to I throw up one more verse, and I want to present it maybe in a little bit different context than what you're used to. Psalm, 30, Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Let him be your delight. Let him be your desire. He says, and I'll give it to you. Let me be your delight, and I will give you the joy that satisfies your heart's desire. The second point that I have is in, in, in transform our our transforming our desires, transforming our desire, um, is I believe that it continues with joy. I mean, you're going to be joyed out by the time that I get through here, but I believe that, I believe that it continues with joy. We talked for just a, a few minutes about the man finding the treasure of the kingdom of Christ and, and then being moved with joy. What does he do? He sells everything that he has to buy that treasure. And I know that for some of us, like myself, that's, you know, that wasn't an instantaneous Man, I found the treasure and all this stuff fell away. But like, un, like, like layers on an onion, God began to peel off, you know, this and that. And you, and you find, you start finding that this stuff, man, it just kind of falls off. You know, these things, these, these rocks that like the, the girl had gathered up, man, these things start, these weights start falling off because you're so, man, the treasure's better. You're so overjoyed at the treasure. So there, there's a question, well, doesn't, doesn't God do all things? Doesn't he do all things, including saving us? Doesn't he do all of those things in order to glorify himself? Ephesians chapter 1 says he does all things to the praise of his glory. And, and that includes saving us, conveying us into the kingdom of the son of his love. All of those things are done for his glory. Whether you eat, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of of the Lord. So the question is, how does us seeking after our joy glorify God? How does us seeking after joy glorify God? And I would ask you, well, what, what do you glorify most? What do you praise most? What do you speak about most? What do you celebrate most? Is it not those things that you have the greatest delight and enjoyment in? Do you not praise and glorify those things that you take the most delight in? Super Bowl's coming up. I couldn't even tell you what teams are going to be there. But you, if, if you are a Cowboys fan, like I'm not going to have to extract praise out of you on Super Bowl's night. Probably not going to be there anyway. But if they were there, if the Cowboys were there, I'm not going to have to pull out praise and glory from you, am I? You're going to praise, you're going to glorify what you most delight in and what you most find joy. God is glorified when His glory 
is enjoyed. When his, joy, when his glory is enjoyed. That's why Philippians 4.4 commands rejoice always. Always be full of joy. And again, I say rejoice. There's, um, there's something called the, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And, and it's, a, it's a fancy word for a document that was devised about five centuries ago. There was a bunch of theologians got together back in the 1600s and they developed this document where they laid out 107 different questions concerning the Christian faith. And they laid the questions and the answers out to those. Um, the first question on the list was this. What is the chief end of man? And their answer was this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the conclusion that all of these theologians who were not spending all of their time on Facebook and TikTok um, probably forgot more Scripture than I've ever, or I'm sorry, probably memorized more Scripture than I've ever forgotten. Uh, this is their conclusion to the chief end of man. What, what is God's greatest goal in, for man in all of creation? And it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But I want you to notice something. John Piper points out in his book, Desiring God, that the word end right there is singular. He didn't say, what are the chief ends of man? He said man's chief end, one thing, is glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And Piper would go as far as to say, glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Glorify God by enjoying Him forever. God is, if you're taking notes, this is the second part of point number two. It says, God is most glorified when He is most enjoyed. The, I'm sorry, the first part. God is most glorified when He is most enjoyed. Have, have you ever, when we come in here to worship, we come in here to praise, do you ever consider that as being, as enjoying God? That we come in here and we enjoy His presence we enjoy the truths about Him. We relish in who He is and what He's done for us. We celebrate the cross. We celebrate the resurrection, right? We are, we are enjoying those things. When you start looking at worship from that perspective and you start looking through the Scripture, it's all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with singing with joy. Psalm 98.4, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Break forth in the song, rejoice, and sing praises. Psalm 95.1, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. This is the key to worship. And it's, it's the idea that praise will spontaneously overflow from whatever we enjoy the most it spontaneously overflows from what we enjoy the most but the and, and, and also this is this is the key to worshiping in the hard times too right this is the key to worshiping it when, when things are just not going the way that you want them to go because joy is not contingent upon your circumstances the joy of the bible is a gift of god it's a gift of God, and it supersedes your circumstances. It walks right alongside your circumstances 
no matter what they are. Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to read about seven or eight verses down through here. This is just an example of what that looks like. He says, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find faults with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten. We've been put into prison. We've faced angry mobs. We've worked to exhaustion. We've endured sleepless nights. We've gone without food. And we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the word. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether or not they slander us or praise us. We're honest, but yet they call us imposters. He says, we've been beaten and we've not been killed. Our hearts, and here it is, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. One translation says sorrowful. Sorrowful, but yet always rejoicing. And, and this is the short list. Like, if you want the longer one of his resume, look in chapter 11. But if there was anybody that could excuse himself for not being joyless because of his circumstances, it would be this guy right here. But I can testify that I haven't been beaten for my faith yet. I don't know about any of, any of you, but, um, but all this to show that sorrow and joy, they can coexist. They can coexist, and I would add quite beautifully too. Sorrow and joy can coexist. These, I don't want you to hear as I'm talking about all this joy, joy, joy. We're not talking about sticking our heads in the sand, you know, and this is a happy, happy life, happy life. This is, we're talking about something deeper than that. We're talking about the ability to come in here and have your heart so deflated because of what things are, what, what's going on in your life, and yet at the same time, simultaneously, just be exuberant because of what God has done, because we're here in His presence, because He's here in this place. The, um, for me, I, I, I talked a little bit about my previous life earlier. Um, joy didn't show up on a mountaintop for me. Joy showed up at the lowest point of my life. And that's where it tends to show up for a lot of us. It, shows, it showed up when I could, as one guy put it, I could survey my vast empire that lay before me in a cardboard box. That's where joy showed up for me. The Christian walk is, is moved along in life by the fuel of joy. And it's, it's the joy that we experience now and as well as the surpassing joy that awaits us. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 gives us the example of Christ. If you want to learn how to run your faith, run the race of your faith, this is, this is where you find it. He says, therefore, since we, have, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, 
looking only at Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of the faith. And here it is. Who for the joy set before him, joy motivated him to the cross. Joy was the object that was set before him. And the writer of Hebrews says, if you want to learn how to run this race, you look to him as your example. You look to him who looked to the joy that was set before him to run this race of endurance. A couple weeks ago, back around Christmas time when it was summer, I got, I got my bicycle out. I got my bicycle out and I took off on a little trek from our house out and fought. And, uh, and I rode to Detroit and back. And I'm not a professional bicyclist by any I'm I'm just skinny. Um, there there are some dudes, there are some dudes that are the real deal, right? I, I'm not one of them, but there there are some that are the real deal, um, and I know some of them, right? I mean these are the these are the spandex guys. These are the guys that have they have their their shoes that click into their pedals, you know. I mean these are the real McCoy, and um, and they asked me. Once, hey man, why don't you uh, why don't you come ride with us? And to which I politely declined, right? For a multitude of reasons, um, I don't wear spandex. <laughs> I'm not spandex guy, right? Some guys are, right? But the rest of us, and um, probably half the people that wear it into Walmart, we need to stay as far away from spandex as we possibly can. <laughs> amen. Um, that amen was loud back there in the sound booth. Uh, there's another reason. These guys ride like 40 miles minimum, okay? My little trip, my, I, I, think, I don't know, it's 20, 25 miles or something, 22 miles. These, ride, these guys are like 40 miles minimum and usually about 70, 60, 70 miles. Um, and if I did that, if I were to try to ride with them, number one, I'm not going to finish my race. Um, but number two, I'm not going to enjoy the ride either because when I'm out um, riding through the mountains of eastern Lamar County, um, and if you, didn't know that, if you didn't know that we had mountains here, get you a bicycle, and you'll very quickly find out we live in a very mountainous region here in northeast Texas. Um, and I'm riding along. I'm enjoying my ride, right? I'm looking at the scenery. I'm looking at... The land, the trees, barking at the dogs, mooing at the cows. And I'm just, man, I'm just enjoying my ride. And I think that's the second point in this. Last year, last year Gabe preached, he preached a message entitled, Enjoy the Ride. Enjoy the Ride. And, and in that message, he spoke of loving God with all of your strengths. And he talked about the mission trip that the church went on that year. And, and by the way, we're, we're going on one this year. Um, it's in July, right? July, first week of July. So, and you can still sign up. You can still sign up. We'll get you all the information that you need to be a part of that. But um, Doug Reed made the statement in that message. He said, um, he said, when you guys come back from the mission trip, I want you to be completely exhausted. I want you to know that you have loved God with all of your strengths. And let, let me, was, was there anybody who went on that last mission trip in here? 
I know that Stephen's wife and, and you guys went, but did you enjoy it when it was all? I mean, you, you, we enjoy being able to be a part of what God's doing, being able to help people that help, can't help themselves. There is, that's, what, that's what Jesus means when he says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's because of the joy that overflows out of that. But I would submit to you that if you're, if you're attempting to do this, to love God with all of your strength, and you're doing it apart from joy, like if you're like that man with the treasure and you're just determining, instead of selling it out of all of your joy, you just make the decision, well, I know this is going to hurt, but I'm going to do it anyway. If, if that's the way that you engage in the life that Christ has called you to, you're going to burn out. You're going to flake out. You, you, you're, you're not going to finish the race. If you are not moved, if you are not as Christ, set on the joy that was before you. Have your eyes set on the joy that is ahead of you. That's why, that's why James can say in James chapter 1, he says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because your joy is not subjective to your circumstances. It's objective in Christ. He's the object of your joy. Your, your joy is objective in him. And what does the next verse after that say? It says, God's testing of your faith through experience, it produces endurance that leads to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And I want you to see the connection between joy and faith. He says, count it all joy so that your faith can be tested. And I would even ask the question, well, can, you, can your faith even be tested if you're not counting it all joy? Right? Can, is your faith legitimately being tested without being able to count it all joy whatever you're going through my joy in christ will determine how i go through trials my joy in christ is going to determine how i go through those things and it's also going to determine if i reap the rewards of those things if i read and, and, and i would submit that if you don't count it all joy then in a sense we're cutting off the arm of God that would try to work something within us through the trials, through the things that He has decreed that we go through, that He wants to do something in our life with. So the last point that I have in this is, um, is I'm just calling it the fight for joy. The fight for joy. And as we close, you, you may be sitting here thinking, well, well this all sounds good, but um, if this isn't my experience, how do I get there? Like, how do, how do I do this? How do I get this joy? And those of you that are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, you realize, well, it's, it, I mean, it, it's a fruit. This is something God does in your life. Um, but I would also say it's a fight. John Piper would say that it is a fight to see. And I'm going to say see in the sense of, what we talked about early, taste, tasting and seeing. It's a fight to see, savor, experience God's glory. That's what it's a fight for. I want to go back to one of our two verses for this series, this transformation series. 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory 
to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Question. According to this verse right here, what are we doing as we're being transformed? We're beholding. We're seeing. We're beholding. That's the fight. The fight is to continue to behold the glory of God. How do we do that? Through word. Getting into the scripture. Through prayer. Right? Through, through communion just with Him. Just, man, just hanging out with the Holy Spirit. Hanging out with the Father. Going and spending some time getting off of Facebook, TikTok. I mean, it, that, that's, that's what this fast has been all about, right? Being able to find joy and satisfaction in God rather than all the things of the food, the entertainment, crack caffeine, I mean, coffee and caffeine, uh, just, you know, all of these things um, that we find is our, that which holds us up. Um, but that's what it's about. You know, it's, it's a difference in looking at a sunset and allowing God, as you see the sunset, to see His glory, to see the majesty of the creator of the sunset as opposed to seeing the beauty of the sunset on its own. That's the fight. That's the fight. And, and, and our vision is that the enemy is going to do everything that he, that he can to distract you from that, to distract you from seeing God's goodness in this life, from seeing, man, what, what his purpose for you as in here, in, the, in, the, in this church, in his kingdom, and, and to see what he's doing all around you. Man, so that, and that's, that's why I would encourage you too, to get, get into a group. When these groups start up, get into a group and watch. It seems like, in my experience, I've been able to see God's glory a lot easier in other people's life than in my own. Right, but it's but in doing that, number one, man, I'm encouraged. When I see this brother over here growing, I'm encouraged because I know that God is doing something. Right? And and then by me just, hey man, I'm encouraged because I'm I'm seeing God do He's all over you. You know, I'm seeing Him do something in your life. Then it's encouraging to Him. You see how that works? If you've um if you've been following along the Bible app and, and worship team, you, you guys can start making your way back up here. But um, we have, uh, some of you guys might have gotten a text sent out here a couple of weeks ago that invited you into a Bible study that we as a church are doing through the Bible app. And, um, and man, I, I would encourage you just to be a part of that and listen as we're doing really what I'm talking about right here, encouraging, hey man, this is what the Lord told me. This is what God's speaking to me through this verse through this passage, um, be a part of that, man. This last week, jump on there with us. But um, if you're part of that, last Monday's topic was strengthening of marriages. And I want to quote Stephen Tillery um, as he gave a little insight into the chase that he's been on for the last several years. Remember, we're, we're talking about continued transformation, transformation of our desires in really every area of our life. Stephen wrote, Me and my wife have been together since we were 16, and only the last handful of years I have learned what love is and what love is 
supposed to look like. But I only began to learn after I started chasing God honestly and for me. And then he goes on to, he goes on to say that the strengthening of his marriage, the strengthening of his marriage came as a byproduct of the chase. The strengthening of his marriage came as a byproduct of the chase. So I would, I would ask you, um, what do you think that he was after? What was he chasing after? Could it, could it be that he was chasing after just closeness with God? Closeness with God? Why? Because as the psalm said earlier, Psalm 16, it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. He's chasing after closeness of God because that's where he's satisfied. He's chasing after closeness with God because that is where he finds delight. That's where his innermost hunger is satisfied and his thirst is quenched. That's where fullness of joy was. I don't, I don't, I don't know where you guys are this morning in life and I would say that there's probably a good number of people that are going through some situations right now. Um, and I think the invitation, the invitation for us, the invitation for you is to be able to say with the rest of us, I got 99 problems and joy ain't one of them. Amen? I got 99 problems. Joy is not one of them. And I have it from here on out. You're invited. He's what you're hungering for this morning. He's what you're thirsting for this morning. And he's wanting to satisfy you. He's wanting to satisfy you. He's wanting to give you delight that you haven't experienced up until this point. He's wanting to give you joy that will supersede your attachment to all the things of the world. The treasure is worth it. The treasure is worth it. Um, if you're on the prayer team, can you guys come forward? You're invited. I'm just going to leave it there. You're, you're invited this morning. Come and taste. Come and see. Come and partake. Dustin, can you close us in prayers?